Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. On this podcast, I'm inviting you into my personal library to experience my favorite erotica. All of the volumes that I will read from are on my shelves. Each week, I will treat you to a piece of erotica, either my own or from one of my favorite authors. Some weeks, I will be joined by these amazing authors themselves, and you will have the chance to hear them read their own work. This podcast is being supported by my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Lori Beth Bisbee. For people who subscribe, you will have access to special interviews with authors and readings and also to special events. So grab your drink of choice, get comfortable, and enjoy a peek into my erotic world. And that's it. Oh, that was wonderful. Yay. <laughs> yeah, that was hot. It's so funny reading that story after so long. Like now, I'm not sure I even would do it. Not that I don't think it's a good story, but it does raise issues of consent, which, you know, is something I do try and like, you know, as I get, you know, more conscious of the impact of stories and the, the value of them in people's sexual narratives. But at the same time, it kind of works the way it is. So I'm not too sure what I would do if I was actually kind of faced with that decision now. I mean, that's a really interesting one for me because um, I think it's really important for people to understand that stories are stories and reality is reality. And that while we can weave consent into some stories to have to do it in all stories, you know, ruin some of the fiction. I mean, look, we, it's not just sexual fiction where we don't have consent. It's all sorts of fiction where we don't have consent, right? Mm -hmm. But there's the understanding that there's a willing suspension of disbelief and that's the whole point. This is fiction. Um, exactly, exactly. I, I mean, sorry, go ahead. I, I just think it wouldn't be so much of an issue if we actually taught people consent. Agreed, completely. I mean, it is interesting that there is kind of like, it's kind of like big misnomer of the separation between fiction and nonfiction, especially in regards to sex, because while I think it's important that people understand that fiction is fiction, I think that's some, um, um, a good percentage of people's sexual dysfunction comes from the illusion that porn is how sex is supposed to be. And, you know, bad erotica, even though when I do it is uh, guilty of that as well. I mean, you know, I was just speaking to someone the other day about how, um, it's, it's kind of like one of the problems of, I think, BDSM ignorance is that so many people come into it thinking it's going to be like the porn book they just read without understanding the importance of negotiation, consent, and free communication and such. And at the same time, you can't, when you do put that into a work of fiction, it becomes unmittingly boring. Um, you know, because you can't have like five pages or five chapters dedicated to the people getting to know each other, working out the negotiations, when things go bad, and a, a BDSM scene kind of seen from the outside often feels kind of like kind of staged and artificial because there's breaks for pee, there's breaks to take a drink, there's, you know, moments when you say, how are you doing, do you want to keep doing this, and so forth, but when you talk about you know, Lord master, you know, of his harem of slave girls, you can't exactly put that in there. <laughs> no. And the, the thing is, is that what people don't realize is that there's a wave of energy that goes through everything. So even the ordinary bits, um, when you're in the middle of a scene or charged, 
but they won't, they're not made for other people to observe. They're made for the people who are in it. And the mm -hmm. thing with fiction um, and, or, and, or any account anyway, um, and um, whether it's auditory, visual or written, is that you're trying to put somebody in a situation, but there's only so far you can go. They're, they're not going to be fully in it like you would be when you're in a scene. Um, it's always interesting to me because it's, it's, I have people come all the time who have learned their sexual technique from pornography and are wondering why it isn't working. And I can't tell you the number of times I say to people, hey, pornography is entertainment entertainment just like any other entertainment means that there's backstage stuff and behind the scenes stuff that you're not seeing just like if you go and watch a regular movie and you're not seeing the person's face being made up the the costumes being designed the angles so that they look a certain way the lighting the shadows the set you know which may be you know remember in the old days when they were painted cardboard sets but we didn't see that right or, or just wood built sets and they walked into a building and they were on another stage. You didn't know that when you're watching it. That's all the backstage stuff that you don't see that creates mm -hmm. the illusion of an unbroken story. I completely agree and you're, and you're uh, absolutely right. It's like, and I think a lot of it has to do with how Western culture views fiction. There's this kind of little voice in our heads that kind of wants it to be a, a, a connected to reality. We want to be, think that we could do this. We want to kind of manifest what's fiction. And so we don't let it be its own thing. Um, I've recently become hooked on various vid YouTube videos where an expert will analyze a film on, it could be anything from how guns and explosives to how medical examiners actually do things or detectives. And I think it's absolutely fascinating how often these myths have no basis in reality, but they become sort of part of our culture that when the reality actually is depicted, it kind of feels jarring. You know, it's just, I, it's like the, um, the the gun on the revolver, you know, cliche. If you watch any kind of cop show or detective show from like the seventies, you know, around, they always depict like a suppressor on a, on a pistol. And bye bye, I'm no means a gun freak. I just think this is kind of fascinating. But there's no way of doing that. The, the mechanics of that arrangement doesn't work, but it's become part of the landscape. And, you know, I also think about like other cultures. Um, I'm not an expert by no stretch. So I do like to read about like, you know, some of the things I've, I've, I've noted about Japanese culture is there's always a distinction between reality and fantasy. There's no like crossover. And it kind of comes from um, the floating world where you go to a place to become somewhere else, but when you walk out of it, you go back to your real life. But we don't like that. We like to think we're going to be James Bond or, you know, some member of a superhero team or something. We kind of need there's something about Western culture that needs that kind of like, they're almost disappointed when someone tells them they can't do that or that's not the way things work. Well, and, and I mean, we lose the idea that it, it's it's supposed to be a willing suspension of disbelief. Like, I know it's not really that way. I mean, this is how we were taught when we were coming through school. We know it's not really that way, but we're going to take reality and put it aside so we can enter into the fantasy and enjoy it. And um, I think that's changed over time to where now there are lots of people who truly believe that the fantasy is actually how reality works. Um, and, and certainly when it comes to sex and relationships, that causes huge issues because there, 
There's none of the setup. There's none of the things you need. So when I sit down with a couple, like the last one that came in was, um, he said, well, you know, we tried anal sex and it was horrible. And I said, well, um, I'm sorry to hear that. What did you do? And he said, well, we watched the porn and, and I said, well, well, well wait, wait, whoa. You realize that's entertainment and there's a lot of stuff that goes on that makes it easier for her that you don't mm-hmm. see. Not the least of which is she's been having anal sex for a long time. They don't film somebody, film somebody who's just having it for the first time and, you know, not comfortable and not happy and, you know. And, and he said, well, no, we didn't realize that. It's like, well, pornography isn't education. So if you want to learn how to have anal sex, you know, this is where you start and this is what it looks like. And these are the things you need to, fit, to consider before you get to, the, to behaving like the people in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite a long run up with anal sex before you get to behaving like the people in the movie. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And certain things that the people don't say. I mean, like, I'm, I distinctly remember back when I was, you know, part of the little queer, you know, freak BDSM scene in San Francisco, I was a really good friend of someone who was a real big, you know, anal sex aficionado, and he told me things I had never heard of, that I still kind of, like, try and bring to my classes on the rare occasion I teach about that, is things like, you want to avoid foods the day before that have small, hard bits, like strawberries, because those can actually still be present in the rectum and can tear. So you want to actually go with things that are easily and almost completely digestible, um, which I had never heard of. I thought was just really kind of fascinating. Um, But yeah, a lot of these things we just simply don't know about. And it's unfortunate because again, you know, fantasy is fantasy. It's not reality. I think the line's gotten a bit more blurred and I'm not disparaging the whole genre, but you know, the the, uh, amateur porn you know, unfortunately, well, I think is actually better than the ones that are like robots having sex. Not that I don't think robots are kind of fun and, you know, so forth, but, you know, kind of like, you know, buffed and primped and artificially created performers. It give, it also perpetuates that solution because, because it considers amateur, you think this is a real thing, but amateur still means they've done this for a very long time. They're no use to each other's bodies. There's editing that takes place. You know, there's all kinds of factors that are involved there. And they're fluid bonded. They don't have to use condoms or worry about STIs and such. But yeah, I mean, this like this prevalence of the fantasy barrier. I mean, one of my favorite ones is rope bondage. If you type bondage into a search engine, you know, 99% of the time you get like shibari. Now, not to to give a hard time to shibari experts, that is doctoral level bondage. That is something that you have to be a tremendous amount of experience with and be extremely prepared for but it gives you it gives the illusion that when you say bondage that's what you should be doing when well, rope, I, mean, but then again, dangerous. I mean i think the key is what you said is search engine and so we're both of an age so we could talk about this when we were growing up and we were learning look there just was not this stuff available to us right mm-hmm. We couldn't mm-hmm. get, we, there was no internet to put in a search engine and put Pornhub, right? We were not getting Pornhub. If we were seeing movies, we were seeing them on videotape or Super 8, <laughs> right? Um, if we were seeing movies that we weren't renting, we were seeing them in motels that had really bad mm-hmm. TV screens where you saw the movies. And, it, you know, so 
there wasn't the opportunity to believe that that was really sex or to learn from that because we didn't have the access. So we learned from what we were doing. And sometimes we had no idea what we were doing, but that's how we learned. We didn't learn from watching pornography because that wasn't something that was easily accessible before you actually started having sex. Mm -hmm. um, and our experience with things like, um, you know, peep shows and live sex shows and things like that usually came later in our sexual careers, not at the very beginning. Um, so we learned through experimentation. Sometimes we read books, um, but that's how we learned. Mm -hmm. So when we read erotica, we didn't have a visual image as to how this was done. And we were very clear that was a fantasy. And this palaver that we were trying to do and was messing up totally was reality, right? There was no illusion there. To me, one of the things that's really changed this is access to the internet where you can see visual video of any kind of sex you might imagine on tap at any time made by professionals and amateurs alike. So it gives the idea that this is how people are having sex because I can put it in a search engine and see it and there's so much of it. It must be what people really do, as opposed to now you have easy access to movies. I agree. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, one of my favorite expressions about the internet, the good news about the internet, it's accessibility to information. The bad news, it's accessibility to information. So, I mean, the good news is if you're living in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, and are feeling isolated and lonely because you like a certain thing no one, no one else seems to like, you can punch it into, like, again, a search engine and go, oh, my God, not only is this, am I not unique, but there's an entire websites and groups and conventions dedicated to exactly what I like to like. The bad news is it's, it's impossible in sometimes to separate the wheat from the chaff. So you end up with, like you said, this, this predominance of illusion and as we're experiencing now, this kind of like false reality where, you know, it's like, it's so easy to have a piece of, of misinformation and then find not a, not a good and not a, a, a accurate supporting of that delusion. So, you know, and it becomes, so unless you manage to are strong enough or whatever, you know, applause to you, you can break out of that illusionary cycle and find real information that is accurate, you know, but it still takes a strength of will. And most people don't want to know they're wrong. I mean, that's what's happening in this country right now. So they'll just double down on their cognitive dissonance. And that's true about sex as well. I mean, you know, you go to, you know, you know, especially, you know, people who may have been like, again, raised on porn and such, when you keep telling them that's not the way it is, rather than saying, enlighten me they go they kind of backpedal and still keep doing it like they think this is the way it's supposed to be like you should be hard for hours at a time and you know it's like you know or coming you know simultaneously or all these different cliches and errors and nonsense and it's unfortunate because i don't want to sound like the old man yelling at people to get off the lawn but i do think this is one thing we did lose with the internet no don't get me wrong i'm a huge internet junkie i mean i cannot live without it i'm the guy you'd find in the woods with a laptop, you know, I mean, I cannot live without the internet. It, and frankly, it pays the rent. So I, I'm not disparaging it, but I do think culturally we did lose that. Like once again, back when I was in San Francisco during the uh, late eighties, early nineties and part of the BDSM scene, 
there wasn't an internet. So you went to classes and yes. you talked to people and yes. you saw what really performed. So the people were not just, you know, this person or that person, you know, saying they did something. They were actually people who practiced this, that, the other thing. I mean, you could see Bakir Mustafar talking about the Sundance, or you could, you know, find out this person who did cutting or piercing and this person who does bondage. And you're actually talking to someone who has been doing this for a very long time. Now it's like, you don't know half the time, unless like yourself, you have the qualifications that are, you know, that are actually out there. You don't know who you're talking to. I mean, Lord oh, God... You know, 58 doesn't mean he's an expert. It just means he has time to spend on the internet. Right. I mean, no, I mean, you know, like I, I, I mean, people have heard me say this before that there are lots of people who um, I, you know, I see who are out there as, you know, sex experts and sex, you know, and, and, you know, may have some qualifications, but, you know, in my view, not the right ones. Um, and, you know, they're young and they're on fire for teaching people this, that, and the other, but they have no life experience. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're talking about teaching people about varieties of, of human intimacy, you need to have some life experience. You need to have experienced failure and success and difficulty and things like that. Because what you learn in a classroom is not going to help you help somebody get over some of the problems that people run into. I know I'm one of the things that I'm particularly good at is coming up with out of outside the box solutions. Why is that? Well, partly because I've been working with people for 33 years. So I've got lots of people's information, but partly because I've been doing stuff myself for even longer. Like when we talk BDSM, you know, I, I've got more than 40 years doing this. So I've had lots of experiences, including lots of abysmal failures <laughs> and lots of mishaps that allow me to think a little bit differently about what the steps might be to learning something. Then Joe Bloggs, who started doing this five years ago and learned from each person over here and this person over there, who between them maybe have 10 years of experience you know, again, it's about, it's about how much information you have access to. And I think um, that's why we end up having, feeling guilty when we don't put consent conversations and negotiation and all those things in fiction now, because we know that people aren't going to make the distinction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I'm often, to my frustration, stumbled across this or that person who or, or even an organization that hasn't kept up with what's happening in regards to sexuality issues. Um, you know, I came across one, I can't, I'm not going to name them because frankly, I can't remember, but they're on Instagram and they kept confusing gender and sexuality and it got to be really annoying. I mean, here's the person who wrote a story that does the same thing, but that story was written like 20 years ago. Um, but you know, it was just really frustrating that they kept using inappropriate gender terms and, you know, and, and such. It's just like, you know, go with the times here, people. I mean, it's like, you know, if you know anything about what's happening in the aspect of human sexuality and education, you know, this is something that is thankfully now being reexamined and for a large part is now being supported to find them using these outdated terms was really very frustrating. Um, and the same way too, it's like I've, I've, I've experienced, and again, not sounds the old man yelling at people, but, you know, going to like BDSM conventions where 
not to keep going on about this, but back again, when I was getting my BDSM education, one of the first things out of every instructor's mouth was safety. That, that was the prime, that was, the, that was it. You, ever, you go from safety up. You don't yeah. say, here's what you do and here's how to keep it safe. No, it starts off with don't take unnecessary risks. And, you know, I've had the experience of teaching classes where people don't want to hear that. They want to hear oh. about the edge stuff. They want to hear about the dangerous stuff. And when I teach with Ralph, who we did that wonderful, you know, interview, I know who's also been on your show. When Ralph and I teach, we often look at each other like, seriously? I mean, we're trying to keep you from getting hurt, but you want to hear about like, you know, doing things that frankly, no one should be doing or very rarely. And then only if you have a tremendous amount of experience. I mean, and- I, I, I'm an edge player, so I get it, you know, um, and, but I'm an edge player for a very long time. And I'm very honest about, you know, the negative experiences that I had, you know, the places where there wasn't consent, things like that. And, and, and how serious how serious the injuries can be. And so you're talking about things like starting with people. One that's really common for me these days and talking with people is about breath play. And, you know, there's all sorts of songs, you know, about, you know, choking and how hot this is and blah, blah, blah. And I have to say, guess what? It's really easy to kill someone that way. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to cause brain damage that way, much easier than you are ever led to believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are different people have different health issues that you won't be able to see that they might not know they have. And it could take very little pressure. And all of a sudden you've got a dead body on your hands or you've got somebody who's in a coma and Lord knows this isn't what you want to do, right? You want to have a good time. You want the fear, but you don't want the real fear that goes with the fact that you might actually kill this person. That's Mm -hmm. not what you're trying for. So you need to understand if you're going to make the decision to do this, what you're getting yourself into um, and people will say to me, well, you know, do you do this? And it's like, no, actually we don't do this anymore. Breath, exactly. play, breath play for us. One of my partners breathes into my, does this with my nose and breathes into my, my mouth. So I'm breathing his air. It feels like real serious breath play, but there's no danger of me dying from breathing his carbon dioxide. Right. Mm-hmm. It just feels weird. So you can simulate it. There are ways of simulating stuff and still getting the kind of effect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but people are, are led to believe that this is something you can easily learn how to do, that just taking a class is going to sort it out. Taking a class is so that you learn just how dangerous it is and you're making um, an adequate risk assessment. It's not so you learn how to do it safely because you can't do breath play safely. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for that because that's, that is a really excellent and articulate way of phrasing it because, I mean, it's actually one of those things on my blacklist. Not that I don't think people I would, I would prevent, but it's one of those things that I don't write about because I do not have direct experience Though the only one thing I do often is echo what you just said is like before you do anything, you know, it's particularly in BDSM, but frankly, any aspect of your life as well as human sexuality, understand the risks involved. So if you can go from there, you can sort of make the intelligent decision of regarding, you know, what happened, just blindly leaping into a thing, you know, this is gonna be fine, except maybe this will happen. No, start from worst case scenario first. 
Yep. So if you realize that things like inappropriate or in, you know, in, inaccurate, I'm not sure, I lost my word there, breath play is death and brain damage. The same way bondage can be strangulation, nerve damage, paralysis, you know, all these different things. So, you know, understand going in what can happen, like the old maxim of, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah, and, I mean, I think like, I mean, for me, bondage is an easy one. So if you restrain my arms above my head, I pass out. Mm-hmm. That tells you that you should never do breath play with me because mm-hmm. that tells you something about my vagus nerve and, and the way my system works. If that, that will cause me very quickly to pass out. Put my hands here, but don't do it like this because in certain positions I will go. Not every time, but enough so that we never do that. Mm-hmm. Those are things that, you know, I, there was not information for me when I started doing that. I learned by doing. I don't advise people to do that. I'm lucky I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know? And it wasn't, and we don't talk about it. Like sometimes, you know, people who've been through stuff like that, you know, we talk about it like, yeah, wasn't it fun in the good old days? We did some crazy shit. Don't you ever do that? But we're talking about it and it was so fun. There are some things I will talk about like that, but that not that stuff. It's like, yeah, that was a there, but for the grace moment, because there wasn't any information available to me at that time. Exactly. You, have, you don't have the excuse. You have the information available to you. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up, because that's another thing I think that really kind of needs to change. I'm not just sure what's going to come from, but we've fallen, unfortunately, I think this is a generalization again. I apologize for it. But it seems to me that we've fallen in the BDSM community back to the old you know, Dom macho nonsense, where Doms can never be wrong, they can never admit fault, they can't, you know, they always have to be, you know, everything they say is is verbatim. But again, when I was in the first scene, the one thing that was also drilled into us is the sub runs the scene, not the Dom. And that the strength of a Dom is not what they do, but what they do when things go wrong. And a Dom who shifts blame, tries to like, you know, blame the sub if something goes wrong, is like on a blacklist. They, the word quickly spreads that they're not safe to play with versus one that takes breaks, checks in constantly, you know, and is really going to admit this didn't work or let's get you out of here or let's call the hospital or, you know, and that kind of thing. So being able to respond without ego when things go wrong is, is something I think we need to develop more of. I mean, you know, I often will will talk about media thumb safety and I say the number one safety tool you have is your smartphone because, and not just that, but the willingness to call because most of these injuries, especially the life-threatening ones are exacerbated by people thinking um, uh, they'll, they'll blame me for something or my ego will be bruised and every second. Yeah, yeah not picking up and calling an ambulance or something like that. And I mean, things like, you know, and it, it sounds like, um, it sounds silly to some people, but the conversation that you need includes your 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 physical history not your sexual history that's important you want to know definitely you know sexual disease and all of those things are important but what's also important is your health and your physical history mm-hmm. and if you're not experienced in something you won't know what the other person needs to know so the reality is you need to tell them everything Mm-hmm. You don't you you don't leave shit out because you don't think it's important because you don't know unless you're an expert in something you won't know. So I mean you know I don't pick up play. 
I haven't picked up plate for years. And that has to do with the energy exchange for me. But also, I'm physically complicated. I'm compromised in a lot of ways. Um, there are things that people need to avoid. There are other things where they can go really hard and it's great, but it, it requires me to know someone well enough to trust them that they're gonna listen when I do say, okay, we're getting to a place where you need to stop. That they, they can trust that I am actually going to safe word when it's necessary, because I've got things like I've got a hernia and like you kick me in the hernia, you might kill me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, so that's, that we're not going to be doing anything in that area. And if we end up in that situation and like, if your weight is on top of me and it feels uncomfortable, I may have to say, I need you to move now. And like quickly, quickly, because I can feel the pressure building up and what you're doing is making it worse. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I have to have the guts to say that to somebody who maybe is, you know, I've been just having sex with you. Somebody plucking me and lands on top of me. You can't lay on top of me, right? It's it's just not a thing um, because it really will hurt me. And I've got to be, be comfortable enough to say to whoever it is, hey, remember, you need to move to the side, please, without worrying that I'm going to offend somebody, upset somebody, because it's, it's a health thing. So they need to know about that in advance. They need to know about my other health issues in advance. Um, you know, I have psoriatic arthritis. So my joints are fun and my tendons are fun. So it, it is, and I play rough. So it doesn't stop me playing rough, but it does mean a, more than a five minute conversation with me about what I like and what I don't like and what I wanna do, right? Absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, this is something that another thing I wish people were more aware of, that even though we talk about this, that coming to this point where you can be upfront about every aspect of or yourself takes time. I mean, it's, there's going to be a lot of bad things that happen because you're learning. And that's the thing. Once again, acceptable risk and such. And I completely agree with you because I'm the same way. It took me many years before I could be actually really upfront with my limitations because I suffer from self-esteem issues and depression. So I always kind of held back, but now I've gotten older, I've understood and finally started to own the importance of saying, here's what I need emotionally. Here's my limitations physically. Here's, you know, this is what I need, you know, and I'm more than willing to meet somebody else's needs, of course, but it's just like, this is what I need to come out of a scene. And mentioning things like arthritis, mentioning things like, you know, all kinds of different factors, low blood pressure. I mean, allergies. Oh, yeah. Well, and then people like, you know, diabetes is one, right? Like blood sugar issues, diabetes, mm -hmm. low blood sugar, tendency to go hypo. Well, mm -hmm. when you play, you, you spike the hell out of the shit. So it's like, okay, guys, do you know what your hormones are doing when you do that? You need to make sure that you've got sugar there, that you've mm -hmm. got juice there and things like that. And you could find somebody in a hypo and ending up having to take them to the hospital. But if you haven't educated yourself, you don't know that. And you might not think that you'd have to tell somebody that, in fact, oh, hey, you know, I'm diabetic. I'm not. But in, do you see what I mean? And it's like so often these things are, are foreseeable. The accidents that I see and the problems that I see are foreseeable if people have actually talked to the depth that they need to to establish 
that they're humans. They're not superhuman. And that's, again, back to where we started this conversation, which is the difference between what's a fantasy, what's fiction, and what reality looks like. And even though we might want to enter the fantasy in our role play, you know, as, you know, we've got super dom and super sub, you know. <laughs> You know, who have no no limitations and they can do anything and they don't have to worry about anything and they're hundred percent no limits on anything and right and and they can read each other's minds because you know because they have those superpowers. We might want to play those roles, but we have to remember that in reality we're humans. And if we don't have the conversation to establish those limitations and to establish safety to start out, then it won't be a good scene. You know, then the the likelihood of something going wrong goes up exponentially. Whereas if we do have that conversation, then we can enter into the fantasy. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of this, once again, is practice. A lot of it is people need to be willing to accept the fact this is not going to happen overnight. You can't walk into anything, especially BDSM or sex, and expect to be good at something or at least comfortable with something the first time out. I mean, I, I get really annoyed with those first time, great time things. No, your first time is going to be miserable. The first time you do anything is a failure. That's just the nature of reality. And frankly, if someone says the first time is perfect, they're lying. Um, you know, so, you know, all those different factors come involved. And a lot of it is, once again, just sort of the willingness to admit error, willingness to learn, um, willingness to like embarrass yourself because guess what that's going to happen um, that's just once again the nature of reality this is not like something I do wish fiction was a better about this but I also at the same time circling back to the start of our conversation that again people remember fantasy is fantasy and you know it's it's just I don't know what, how it would take but it just seems to be we lose f- track of that far too often and people are unhappy. I mean, look at body dimorphism and, and you know, you know, weight issues and all different factors. People think they should automatically have, you know, massive boobs and or huge cocks and everything else is not right. When the fact of the matter is, a lot of people don't like either or and or, you know, are comfortable or not comfortable. I mean, once again, this is like, you know, how many Hollywood people look exactly the same? I mean, and if they're not, then they're depicted as somehow like a laughing care or a comedic character. So it's like, this is absolutely infuriating. Same thing with age. I mean, you know, according to Hollywood and most media, once you hit like 50, then forget it, your life's over. You know, you might as well just, you know, jump your, you know, go out on the ice flow, um, especially when it comes to sex. It's like, well, heaven forbid we show someone, you know, who's over a certain age, having a healthy sexual relationship. And if it does depict it, it's always depicted as a comedy. You know, it's like, oh, look, the horny old lady or the horny old guy or something. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just infuriating. And it's, it's something that. And yet, and yet, you know, the over fifties have lots of sex, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if, and if they're, if they're, if they know what they're doing and they know what they want, lots of good sex, because the, as you get older, you know more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, and that's, again, something you don't see often enough. Same thing with disabilities, same thing yeah. with the whole spectrum of, you know, GLBTA, you know, characters. I mean, we're starting to see better representation, but not enough. I mean, it's in, and often when it's handled, it's, it can either be really, really good. And I swoon because I'm, you know, when something like that happens, it always touches me very deeply, 
But then other times where it's like, seriously, you know, you fucked it up. I mean, it's just like, it's well, character, I mean, and it's just like, you completely screwed this up. It's just like, you know, it's so infuriating. It's, it's some simple things. Like I look at stock imagery and of course, anybody who's in business uses stock in imagery. And, um, you know, I look at the stock yeah. imagery that's out there and the number of times that I actually spend quite a bit of time to try and find more representative stock imagery when I'm, you know, so like I, I, I work hard to find people of color. I work hard to find good representations of all the LGBT categories um, and um, age. And also for God's sakes, looking at different body sizes. And to be honest, the hardest thing to find is body sizes. Mm-hmm. I, I can find all the rest in large variations, but actually finding larger women is a nightmare because that's still so taboo. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it is frustrating because that we're still presenting this image and I don't want to present that image when I'm talking to people because, my, you know, the people that I see are all ages, all shapes, all sizes, all ethnicities, all races, you know, all genders, um, and I have a tendency to see the, the, the wider rainbow than I do lots of pale skin folk who are in monogamous relationships. It's just what happens with my crew. And so it's, re it's, it's even there, it's really hard to find representation. It's amazing. It's like, you know, how long are we going to push these myths? I do think it's, I mean, slowly but surely, I think it's, it's getting better. But the problem is, again, circling one more time to a different area of our conversation, we talk about the internet. I mean, the problem is it's always really good, but only in a certain percentage of exposure. <laughs> so when you talk about like, you know, animated television shows, even from Disney being respectful to GLBT relationships and characters, that's wonderful. But there's also the number of people that's not reaching, you know, so you still have this kind of, you know, broken system where you know yes you have performers like lizzo who's a big beautiful black woman you know who's very upfront about her appearance and her sexuality and frankly i think is a dream book um you know but that's that's still only a small percentage that's only a small window versus the 90 percent that perpetuates every other you know illusion and so it, it shouldn't i mean and frankly in an ideal world i think these should not come as, as pleasant surprises but yep. just be there. Be normal. Yes. Be normal. Right. Exactly. I mean, because, I because it is that variety is there. Exactly. Exactly. Like one of my favorite uh, expressions, and it's so funny because it's one of my favorites, and I can't remember who said it, was that the goal of representation is they're just there. Yes. It could be yeah, anything. The goal of representation is, is that you don't make it, you're not yeah. making an issue. You're not seeing it as odd. They're just pre present. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, I, w I live for the day when we have a show where someone just says, that's Bob and his husband, Larry, or they yeah. are, you know, that's, that's, you know, Zana and Zana is they, you know, and have like a quick conversation where someone mis misgenders and say, no, use they, oh, oh, got it, no problem, they, and then it goes on from there, you know, or someone is more upfront about any kind of vision, they're just part of the story, as opposed to being the afternoon special, yeah. you know, spotlight that some that unfortunately some media creators still kind of feel like well we've done our job we had the one queer episode and we had the 
you know, we had this episode. It's like, no, it's a universal. You can't just, you know, say we get our brownie points for one episode or one character. This is across the whole spectrum. And again, it's like, we should be seeing this, this diversity because it reflects reality. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I would like to see that be um, something that's accepted in all genres. I always find it interesting because, you know, I do these two podcasts and um, of course my guests are, are a very wide variety because they reflect my interests and my, my tribe. Um, so I have, I have a really wide variety. Um, and the ones that um, are truly part of my tribe, people are aware of. And, you know, so we've, we've got every color under the rainbow, every sexuality, every um, gender and, um, all cultures, you know, people who are monogamous, people who are poly, people who are in between, people who are solo poly. I mean, we've got everything. Um, but it's interesting when I go on other people's shows, like I'm a curiosity because of that. Whereas I, we know in my own show, it's like, oh, this is normal, right? And I show up and they're interviewing me and it's like, oh, 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 you have more than one. Oh, oh, you know. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. You know, I thought I thought it was just an option for a while there. I forgot that other people think it's really strange. Yeah, you know. I, I do find that you know certain certain media, certain genres have been better or worse. Um, and you know, not circling back towards the end here, but me, 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 me. But you know, when I first wrote stories like the one I just read. It was again reflective of, and this is not an excuse. This is just, you know, well, that may be his excuse, but you know, um, you know, I wasn't aware of, you know, and recognizing of the diversity of gender and relationships and so forth. I mean, it was still there, but it didn't really be sinking quite yet. But I particularly find that science fiction, for supposedly something that speculates about what things are going to be like, they still are very entrenched in, you know, binary you know, and heteronormative, you know, actions. And I've actually haven't been enjoying writing these news stories that are kind of more, I think, reflective of the way hopefully society is going, where, you know, they is more common than any other expression. Gender is an infinite thing that's up to you and your expression. That's it. Um, and all kinds of different factors. And same thing with relationships, where there isn't really like, uh, like mono mono uh, monogamy and poly. It's just simply that, you love who you love and there's no name for it. You could love mm -hmm. one person or 12. There isn't like a, a classification that gets dropped on you. But anyway, but yeah, I do find it's like interesting how certain certain parts of mass culture or just the world uh, are more accepting and than others and some drag their feet. Sometimes it's for obvious and unpleasant reasons, but other times it's just kind of interesting. Like I mentioned before, finding some sex resource going like, Get with the program. This is outdated, you know, like five years ago, let alone in 2021. Yeah, no, I know. I agree. So um, if people want to find you, where's the best place for them to look? Um, I've barricaded myself in my apartment. You're not finding me. I, my, have, a, I have a guard cat. I see the guard um, cat. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm seriously, I mean, you find one on my website, which has all my links, but predominantly, um, as we were talking off, off show, I'm not on Facebook, even though I'm on Facebook, but probably the best place to find me is Twitter, um, which is M Christian, my pseudonym, and then Zoba, Z as in zebra, O, B as in boy, O, P as in Paul. And there's a long story behind that. 
Um, and that's where I find most of my postings and all that kind of stuff, but mostly through my website. And you also feel free to email me. I do not mind people emailing me. Just keep in mind, I may take a little time to respond, but if you go to mchristian.com, my email's up there and so forth. And um, yeah, just feel free to chirp in. If you don't, if you want more information or chastise me about anything I said, feel free. I'm always game to talk with people. Um, so that's pretty much where I can find me. Brilliant. So thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed this week and um, we will see you again next week. Um, have a hot and sexy and please be safe week. Wear a mask. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on this erotic adventure. Join me again next week for more exciting erotica. Visit my websites, drlauribethbisbee.com and drlauribethbisbee.press for more information about what I'm doing and what services are available. Check out my weekly internet radio show, The A to Z of Sex, on the Health and Wellness Channel, voiceamerica.com, Thursdays at 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST, 7 p.m. BST, and that's a live show. If you've got suggestions for this show or authors you'd like to hear, email me at lori beth at dr. Lori beth Bisbee dot press. Have a great week. <laughs>